Hi guys, this is Molly Wisty, and this is another episode of the Chainsaw Carving Podcast. I'm a chainsaw carver in northern Minnesota, and I interview other carvers so that we can learn from each other and push this art form, and so that carvers that are kind of secluded are able to feel connected to the larger chainsaw carving world. Today on the podcast, I have on Jason Soderland from Minnesota. And Jason is going to talk with us about a lot of different things. We'll kind of hear his story. Um, He's going to talk with us about uh, some marketing techniques, some new tools that he thinks everybody should try out. And Jason has a lot of great advice. So let's go ahead and bring Jason on and see what he has to say. All right. So Jason, I'm going to go ahead and ask you the first question here. Can you just tell us a little bit about your background or your story? Like, how did you get into chainsaw carving? Sure. Um, Well, first, it's great to be here with you, Molly. I think that this is an awesome thing for our art form. Um, So thanks for doing this. And, uh, okay, so how I got started. I, I don't know, I went to a local art school here in Minnesota um, called Purpich. Academy for the Arts, and it was really nice because it gave you a kind of a broad overview. You could kind of dabble in a bunch of different art forms. I settled on music, but I had a lot of friends that were in visual arts, and I think that's where I was first exposed to sculpture in high school. And then after high school, I had moved to uh, Missouri, and I had the day off and went across over into Illinois and I saw along the river, this kind of festival looking thing and had some time. So I checked it out and it was one of RD's early competitions, chainsaw carving competitions right on the Mississippi there. And there was like 50 chainsaw carvers and I had never really seen chainsaw carving before. Okay. So it was, it kind of blew my mind, you know, when the first time you're exposed to it times 50. Yeah. Um, and so I was immediately drawn to it. I pretty much spent a good chunk of the day there just watching and talking to a lot of the carver's spouses, getting as much info as I could. Um, and then I moved back to Minnesota, and I remembered meeting A.J. Luter at that competition. He was down there. And so I, would in the meantime, tried a few things on my own but realized I needed some help. So I thought, you know, I'll just go see what that guy's up to and see if he's will be willing to teach me. Drove all the way up there. Didn't, didn't, you know, this was kind of, I just drove up there hoping, you know, it would work out. Brought some pictures with. Anyways, he took pity on me um, and ended up inviting me. He's like, you know, if you, if you want to work, you can come. You can come here. You can learn. I'll show you some stuff. Um, and I ended up spending two full summers up there living in a little camper behind AJ's shop, learning how to carve. And yeah, at the end of that stay there, I opened up my own shop, which is the current shop that we're in now in Chisago. Okay. Yeah. That's kind of cool to hear. I mean, I know we've been able to hang out quite a bit, but I don't think I knew all of that. Yeah. Yeah. It was kind of like a fingers crossed trip to Brainerd. Right. It's, it's like, I don't think he remembered me, you know, which is totally understandable. You, in the middle of a competition, you meet a lot of people. Right. But I was, I think he could probably sense I just wanted to learn so bad. And he's like, well, 
you know, this kid, he'll probably do something. Let's see what happens. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. And I remember early on, you know, I got my start in the Hackensack event and, but I remember before I was in the event watching you in the event and, and thinking how cool it was like seeing you carve. Oh, sure. Why? Yeah. Because I, because we were the same age and it's like, oh, someone. Right. Yeah. And I got to talk to, to Leah a lot too, because she was watching you carve. So. Yeah. Yeah. Um, That was, so those early days, those were, you know, everyone always talks about the early days of that competition. They really were something else. Yeah. Carving prices in the auction were insane. This massive sense of camaraderie the community had never seen anything like this that was a lot of fun it was yeah Yeah. um so the second question i have just thinking about marketing um, yeah i know we've talked about marketing before you and i but what are some like more unconventional marketing techniques or things that people should know about like now especially with the internet sure um, well, I can just talk kind of a few things that I've learned maybe more recently because this stuff changes like every day. No, really. It's hard, it's hard to know what to do because people say, you know, face, you got to be on Facebook, you got to be on Twitter, Instagram, you got to do all this stuff. And we've dabbled in a lot of it. And, um, I think the most effective one is free. Our most effective marketing has been Google my business. Okay. Which, which Google changes its platform constantly too, but I believe its current iteration is my business. It's a free account. You go on there, you list your business, you can put up tons of pictures and no one does. So the yeah. people that do are way ahead and uh, you use keywords and it's just a great platform to put yourself out there. And cause that pulls up alongside the search listings. They'll have some really cool pictures. And I would say if, Number one thing you could do as a chainsaw carver is to get yourself listed in Google My Business and do a good job and make sure you monitor your reviews because um, fortunately we've been good, Yeah. but you can get destroyed on there too. So it's kind of like, make sure you're asking your best customers to leave you good reviews because that really helps your search results as well. So that's like online marketing. We've had some fun with other stuff. Um, I think we've just been kind of lucky. We hit, we're currently Inspire's Credit Union commercial that's being aired in the Twin Cities right now. They oh, came cool. and featured a business. Um, we had Amsoil feature us last year as part of their thing. And I think when you as a carver, you're the unusual artist in the area, wherever you are. Mm-hmm. And um, people like that. They like to put that in the newspaper. They like to feature that. They like to be associated with unusual. So if you are associated with anyone that has a platform, like a credit union or uh, a larger company, chances are they would love to to feature you and because it helps them too. Sure. Um, so that's been good. And maybe just one more. We had kind of a guerrilla marketing tech tactic last year there's in the twin cities area there's this extremely annoying real estate guy (laughs) um and he bought like every billboard i mean it was like 50 percent of the billboards in the entire metro area had his face 
Yeah. And uh, in fact, he had his arms out kind of in kind of in the Jesus pose, like straight out. And it was this really uncomfortable image of this guy. But because he was everywhere, it was really effective. Oh, Chris Lindahl. That's that's his name. OK. Um, and he got a lot of crap for it, but it was super effective because mm-hmm. you, you couldn't go anywhere without seeing this guy's face. So we took his <laughs> billboard and kind of used Photoshop and modeled it and put my brother in the same pose (laughs) and same everything. And so his billboard would say free uh, equity evaluations. And so we changed it because we sell log furniture too. So we changed it to free log furniture evaluations (laughs) and and put it right out in front of our business. And we had so many people stop in and just, just to say, thanks for doing this. We hate those billboards. This made me laugh. And then some of them turned into customers. So it was like, we didn't. We weren't trying to have this marketing thing. We were just trying to like show that we're a fun business, and right. then ended up working out. It was that was a fun guerrilla tactic. Yeah. So you just kind of paid attention to things around you and keyed in on, yeah, what's going on in your community. Yeah. Yep. It was kind of my way of dealing with. I commute, so I have to look at those billboards all the time. So it was my way of dealing with it. <laughs> sure. <laughs> Well, cool. Those are some good tips. Yeah. And I, I didn't know about the, the Google, my business thing. That's cool. Yeah. And I know what you mean about the reviews. Cause it's always the angry people that go leave reviews. If you don't ask people that are happy to go and do that. Right. That's what we noticed is that if you ask people, they'll do it. Yeah. Um, and, but generally what you see is that, you know, you get just catch someone on a bad day. And they're just, they can totally destroy your reputation for no reason just because they're having a bad day. So it's good to be proactive and get as many of those good ones as you can to buffer any negative feedback. Yeah. So, yeah. So the next question is one that I kind of think drives everyone crazy. And I know I've talked to other people about this too, but I just want to get your take on it. How do you handle you know, having a business, how do you handle balancing orders and inventory? Like what's your method mm. with that whole conundrum? Oh my gosh. I don't really have one. That's yeah. a personal struggle. That's probably one of my biggest struggles. Having a shop is, um, it's a psychological game, you know, cause it's, we're, we're sort of seasonal. We're in the, we're in the upper Midwest, Minnesota. Mm-hmm. You have a really strong summer season decent fall season fairly weak spring and and except for christmas it's pretty dead in the winter so aside from you know even though i've been doing this for years and years and years every year you fall into the psychological trap where it's like oh no um you haven't sold much in january haven't sold much in february i wonder if i'm not going to sell much this year Mm-hmm. So you start taking orders because it's guaranteed money and you, and you take orders and, and March comes along and you're still taking orders and you're like, oh, it's going to work. You know, this is going to be a good year. And pretty soon you're jammed up into the end of June and you don't have your inventory done for the year. And so, you know, early, early summer rolls along and you start selling out of that stuff, but you're so full of orders and you feel obligated to get those out in a timely manner. So it's just like, it's, it's a weird balance. And you, you, 
I always tell myself every winter I'm going to just stock up on inventory, but it's so cold that you don't. Right. And uh, so here I am. We have honestly not put a single piece of inventory out in front of our shop since 2017. Wow. Um, just been orders, which yeah. guaranteed money, but there's no money like inventory. Mm-hmm. Unless you really, you, you can make money doing orders, but it's, it's a tougher game. Makes, yeah. might, might make you a better carver to carve orders because if you have integrity, you want to do a really nice job and that kind of a thing, which I think most carvers do. Right. But, and then you end up spending more time. Mm-hmm, you end up spending more time. And there's way more back and forth iteration, which I've done, gotten to be a lot better at just like, we're going to get the design done once and we're not going to change it. And if you want to make changes, that's fine, but it's going to cost money. Yeah. Um, Telling them that up front. So, but balancing the inventory order thing, that's, if anyone that's listening to this has good ideas about solving this, I would love to hear how you manage this. I know. And it's not me. I mean, I know I don't do this full time, but I, my husband always laughs at me because I say I'm going to build up inventory over the winter. (laughs) You have this, you're in the same. I know. Yeah. Because when we go to events out West, um, typically the way that you make money at a lot of the events out West is you can sell at the event, um, you know, like the competition or whatever. And I always come out with like five, six pieces to sell. And the other car Mm -hmm. looking at me like, what are you doing? How are you going to make any money? And I'm like, I know, but it was just winter. It's only June. I don't have anything. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. You don't understand the glacier I had to tear down to get these five pieces of wood. Right. I know. I'm like running into logs and stuff, trying to break the ice. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So, um, so could you talk a little bit about like the reality of improvement and the judgment of yourself in the age of social media? Like how do you how do you go easy on yourself? Or how do you make sure that you're improving without um being too hard on yourself? Okay, this uh really this this topic hits home and I think it hits home for a lot of people cuz when I first started carving there was the carving post and that was the new latest, greatest technology, mm-hmm. um, the Yellow Forum. I think a lot of people probably still know what that is. Although, although I think it's changed recently. I tried to go on. Yeah, anyway. It's color. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's, it's not the same. Um, but, and then there was a few books out, like Hal McIntosh's book. And then a couple of years after I started, Jesse came out with her book. And then the updated version. But what I'm trying to say is like, there wasn't, there was just like a handful of sources to look at like really good stuff. And then you had the social outlet on, on, but you had to choose to go there, right? You chose to go to the forum. Right. It was, um, wasn't necessarily in like your passive feeds. Right. So I think what's different now is that, especially if you're just getting started, like you're bombarded with amazing pieces of art, amazing carvings. Mm-hmm. And it's really easy, I think, to fall into this trap of that's not me. It seems like, and you can get into this weird psychological thing where it seems like everyone else is better than you. Right. Because there's so many pictures of really good stuff out there. And there's a lot of good carvers. 
but the truth is the average carver is not cranking out that caliber of work. Mm-hmm. Everyone's wanting to improve, but I think that's a trap a lot of people fall into is comparing themselves to people that have dedicated 20 years plus to their craft and then feeling just feeling psychologically like down about the fact that they haven't, they're not there yet. Mm -hmm. Um, So I think social media can be really crappy. It it can be awesome in in the way you can connect, but I think secretly it can really, if you're not careful, um, just make you question yourself as an artist and um, totally unnecessary. Like you don't need to be looking at, at constantly looking at the best and wondering why you're not there. Um, and I often wonder like all this access to all this stuff, I wonder if it's made us any better because when, you know, when we first got started, it's like, I just wanted to do something that was, that I wanted to do. Mm -hmm. You know, I wasn't worried about comparing myself to really anybody. Right. I mean, I wanted, I wanted to comp. I, I, okay. (laughs) That's not entirely true because the best thing in the world was to get a compliment out of AJ. Yeah. They, they did not come very often. Right. Uh, so you had to work really hard. And then, you know, it's just the smallest things like, you know, even like not bad, you know, that, that, that meant a lot. Yeah. So. Well, um, anything with social media, whether it's as an artist or just otherwise, everybody's putting their best out there. Mm-hmm. So it's always kind of a trap that you can fall into compa- with the comparing. Right. Well, I know on our page, uh, you're not seeing everything, you know, right. as a key. <laughs> you're not, you know, there's a, there's some things you're like, Oh, that's not going on the Facebook yeah. page. <laughs> <laughs> Eric will be like, aren't you going to take a picture of that one? Oh, it's not my best. <laughs> right. 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 Yeah. Yeah. That's true. Everyone's putting out their best and it's, I think people are, they can realize that, but it still doesn't mean you're not being affected by it. Yeah. And I know too, you know, I've, I don't know if I've been carving 10 years yet. I'd have to look maybe about oh, 10 years. Yeah. And then, um, you know, a few years before I was carving, I was watching and I've seen some people that have, you know, been, so been carving like 10, 15 years and their, their old work from 10 years ago isn't posted anywhere. Yeah. But but I'll remember, I'll be like, I'll be looking at a carver going like, oh, their work is just incredible. And not that it wasn't incredible 10 years ago, but I'll think back to where they were at 10 years ago. And I'm like, that's maybe about where I'm at now. Sure. So, so maybe if I can hang in there 10 years, I'll be that good, you know, but that stuff isn't posted anywhere. So you can't look back and see their progress. Because yeah, yeah, that's true. 10 years ago, everybody wasn't posting on social media. So. You have to go back to the, well, maybe it's not even on there anymore. I was going to say you could go back and scour the yellow forum. Right. Make yourself feel better. <laughs> like, look at all your favorite carvers, where they where they started from. Right. I mean, I put some embarrassing crap on there <laughs> in the beginning. You know, what I, but that's the thing, too, is, like, you asked about improvement. Like, it's funny to see how it never fails, like. You start off and you're like, if I could just get there, then I'd be happy as an artist. Mm-hmm. And then you get there and it's, you don't even pause for a second. 
no. because you're dissatisfied again. You're like, no, 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 now I need to be there to be, to be good as an artist. And then you get there and it's this never ending, not being satisfied with what you do. And I don't think that's entirely a negative thing. Right. Um, it might, there's a balance in there to find somewhere too, but I, I have found that some of the best artists that I appreciate their work when you talk to them, they're just like really unsatisfied with their work. And you're like, how could you say that? You're amazing. But it's just that they're, they're onto the next level. Right. Um, but I do think there's a healthy, healthy way. I mean, if you need to, I think you need to be able to acknowledge like, this is where I want it to be at one point, And I have achieved that. And that feels good. Mm-hmm. Um, I know. I think that's part of the reason why people ask me why I don't have any of my own pieces. And uh, I, I'm attached to them for a time. And then I, and then I've moved on and I don't really want to look at them anymore. Do you, did you get <laughs> rid of all of, do you not have any of your own? No, I don't, I don't have a single piece. I got one. Do you have one? Mm-hmm. That's it. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> yeah, people ask me too. It's like, wow, your house must be full of carvings. Right. You, you get that too? Yeah, yeah, yeah. People think they're going to come over and see everything. And I'm like, I haven't kept anything. My dad has a lot. But I don't right, know. right, right. Yep. Well, it's like the other thing too is like, why would I keep that if I could make money on that? Yep, that too. <laughs> Someone's going to buy it. Why would I want it here at my house? Right. <laughs> So kind of going along with that, um, how does an artist make sure to be careful not to like identify with their art? Hmm. Um, I wonder if that's like impossible to, it's almost like you have to go through that and then transcend that. Um, without going too deep or getting too weird about this. I, I, I had an experience a couple of years ago where I feel like I'd left that behind a little bit. And I've read some books and from different people through the years that talk about how you need to realize that you are not your art. Right. And when you do that, then you can, you can become a professional. Mm-hmm. But until that, you're just kind of, uh, I don't, you're you're an amateur you're 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 figuring out who you are you take things very personally mm-hmm. you can't handle critiques um you don't want people that are good to see your stuff you feel embarrassed and it's only because that's you you know you feel like your art is you when you you do something and you bring it out into the world and someone doesn't like it so you feel personally offended or or embarrassed or something like that and I remember having this experience at the shop where I was just I don't know what it was but just realizing that's you know this isn't it's just a wood carving it has nothing to do with me and that was a few years ago and I think that I've been able to achieve some of my artistic goals more in the last two years than um, I had been pushing for maybe the last five years before that. So I like talking to people about that topic of your identity and art and how it's just not the case that you are your art. Right. But it's so tough to, to get there. 
Yeah, because there is a lot of emotional attachment when you're creating something. You know, you're making something out of nothing. And, um, but just that balance of, you know, putting yourself into it, but then letting it go. Yeah. And detaching. Yeah. Yeah. And then it's it's so much easier to have fun too. Mm-hmm. When it's you know, you go to competitions and especially when you're a younger carver and you're just like looking around, you're just constantly comparing your piece to everyone else's, like, is it good enough? Am I am I am I fast? You know, like in the beginning it's like I want to be really fast. Yeah. Am I as fast as they are? Am I and then is is the piece is good? And uh I don't think it's just me that's th- that thinks these things. No. I- um, <laughs> so, yeah, and when you can kind of like let that go a little bit, and I, you know, it's just way more fun. Mm-hmm. You can appreciate. It's like you can you can be happy for other carvers that are doing a kick ass piece. It's like, wow, that's good for you. That that's a lot of work. You put a lot into that, and you don't have to feel like, oh, I'm crap now because they're doing something awesome. Right. Um, one saying that is kind of more in my art teacher world, we always say that there's enough success for everyone. And I know that doesn't really apply when you're, when you're in a straight up competition, but knowing that at one point in time, someone can be more successful than you, but you, you can all be successful to a certain extent. Like there doesn't, there's room at the top for a lot of people. Yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. And it's relative too. like, if you came, I mean, if you improved since the last time you were there, you know, that's successful. Yeah. If if you're showing up a year after you're doing the same bear, doing the same stuff. Right. Even though you're winning, is that, I don't know. I mean, to some extent, if it's still the best, it's successful, but I don't know if you... Yeah, that's what I always have to do too. Um, I do that with chainsaw carving. I always try to beat myself. Yeah, in a way, and I have to do that too. I do like sprint triathlons, and I'm by no means an incredible athlete. <laughs> so I'm never, I'm never trying to win. I'm just trying to be a little faster than last time. <laughs> sure. Right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Do you find that that's more satisfying instead of? comparing yourself to the whole playing field yeah especially just because I mean it's so intense and I mean for me with sprint triathlons I some of it's me and some of it's just that genetically I'm never going to be able to to get first so I need to be able to accept and challenge myself where I'm at um you know and and entering chainsaw carving competitions too you know early on or depending on the level of the playing field that you're in and who, and who's there, it can be so defeating to, to shoot for first. I'm not saying that you don't want to, but sometimes you're like, all right, if I can just not be last <laughs> or, right. You know, right, like right. somewhere in the middle or, or like you said, maybe it's not about the place. Maybe it's about you know, a challenge in my carving, like maybe I want to do more attachments or maybe, you know, I having those smaller goals so you're not crushed and defeated by the huge goal that you might not be able to achieve. That sounds really good. I mean, because I think we've all seen just like 
weird emotional outbursts after after chainsaw carving competitions. Uh-huh. People had it in their head like, I got it. Like right. there's, there's there's no way I'm not gonna win with this piece, you know. And that, oh my goodness, the defeat and the agony. Yeah. You know, and I felt agony too. You know, if I've ever felt like, oh, that didn't. Why didn't mine do better? Yeah. I don't know. It's a tough one. Okay, so this one's a little bit of a lighter topic. <laughs> what <laughs> What are some of like the new new tools out there that people should know about? Oh man. Okay. Well. Without without opening up a huge can of worms, <laughs> I think that uh the world of CNC's is fascinating. And I know that that's been in like a very hot button topic in the carving world for a long time. Mm-hmm. And even I used to be kind of a little hesitant about it. Um but I think there's good news for the chainsaw carving community is uh, the, the technology is here. It's coming. It's amazing. And it's like ready for chainsaw carvers specifically to embrace it because there's no other um, industry that has so much experience in finishing large sculptures or just finishing wood sculpture in general a lot of these operators can get a piece on the machines to a certain level, but it's pretty, it's not, it's not detailed out. Um, and to put, to put a signature finish on and to do the the detail and to do that, that, that last mile on the piece is takes a ton of skill and that's not going away anytime soon. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's amazing. It's amazing. What's out there. You can actually, um, I think one of the challenging things in chainsaw carving is it's one at a time. You in bronze, you can, you can basically make one and then you can have a limited run or a, or a large run. The mm-hmm. same thing over and over and over. Same thing with painting, same thing with most other art forms. But now in a, in a way it is possible with carving. I think that's amazing. And especially looking down at a long-term career, as you get older and your shoulders and your arms can't take the abuse that they could when they were younger, it's a totally viable option to start embracing some of this. Um, well, I know, like you said, it, it's even more unique than, you know, making prints of a painting in the sense that you still have to put your finish on it. So there's still going to be a little bit more unique than other art forms making reproductions. Oh, Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah, good point. I mean, there's you're still going to have a lot of variation from piece to piece depending on how you finish it. Yeah, mm-hmm. good point. I know I was talking about this with my students at school because we talk about, like, what is art? And um, yeah. we get down to the point where, you know, they're saying, well, maybe this chair is art that they're sitting on because somebody somebody designed it. And then someone says, no, because after it was designed, it was mass produced. So then we get into, well, what about a bronze? Because someone created the first one, but then they're, you know, from a cast and mold. And it's, it's fun talking about all that with them and having them try to figure out, well, which piece is art and which piece is not, you know? Right. That's a good question too. And then you even get into the art of manufacturing. Mm -hmm. 
like it's it's really easy to say like oh that's mass produced there is such an art to setting up production mm-hmm. unbelievable um but yeah i mean that's a huge can of worms <laughs> i think uh as an art you know th- and i get it like you don't want to you don't want to be in this market that's just flooded with dupe like with like uh what's the word or it's, it's maybe it might seem like it'll cheapen it a little bit, but I, I think my personal vision for it is like I'm not interested in doing clip art. I don't want to do anything on the on the machine that's not my own design, right? Um, so I don't I don't get any personal enjoyment in grabbing some clip art and you know printing it off and selling it. I might as well just be a print shop. Um, I guess this could segue into, I don't, um, I found a piece of software a couple of years ago called ZBrush and it kind of changed a lot of things for me. Um, it's a piece of software that you can sculpt with on the computer. You literally can sculpt. And if you, you basically start with a block of clay, but there's all, there's a bunch of different workflows where you can really dial in, um, anatomy. Uh, if that's what you want to study. And I think a lot of carvers could really benefit from the software because it, I mean, for instance, it's helped me a lot with faces, really being able to study, for instance, um, the back part of a shoulder on a human figure where the arm transitions into the back. I find that to be kind of a tough transition Mm -hmm. to do it well. And I remember you can uh, pull up really nice full 3d models rotate them zoom in actually look at what that looks like from a bunch of different angles and then try your hand at doing it as well um it's a really cool piece of software plus if you get the model that you like in zbrush you can use it and export it to some cnc technology and actually carve it Mm -hmm. so i don't know it was it was a total gateway drug for me to jump into this world of carving meats technology yeah um as far as some tools i've been uh you know you buy tons of tools when you first get started and then you only use like 20 percent of them five years later yeah (laughs) um so here's the ones i guess i've been using that are relatively new purchases the the harry kane the little power carver for the Arbor Tech that you can get, I think you can still get from Bob King. That thing's incredible. I use it all the time and not just for texture. I, I, I love it for shaping. It can do some really cool stuff. Okay. Um, way more control than just the power gouge on the end of a chainsaw. Yeah. I don't know why it's smoother. It, uh, something to do with it being on the electric. It's, it's just smoother. Um, I've been using a V-bit inside of a die grinder for really fine detail, like a sign carving bit. Oh, yeah. Um, disclaimer, it's kind of dangerous and a little unwieldy during your first hour as you're getting used to it. Okay. Um, but if you stick with it, it will be, like, it's an awesome tool. Um, it does some stuff that you just can't do with a chainsaw. Yeah. Um, yeah, I guess that, that's a long answer. (laughs) No, that's fine. Yeah. Um, 
So another question, you mentioned that that within your guys' business, you do furniture and stuff too. Yeah. What do you think about like diversifying your business or offering like a wider variety of goods and services like beyond carvings? Okay, so um, my brother joined with me back when we were carving. We used to go to West Yellowstone, Montana during the summers and do carving and stuff. And he joined, he started doing some log furniture stuff out there. Since then, he's he's gotten really good. He he does a full line of cedar log furniture. Um, so it complements log furniture, chainsaw carvings complement each other really well. Sure. I love it because his his what he brings to the table has a little bit more consistency as far as like during the winter he he still has a decent amount of interior furniture work. Mm-hmm. And I think it's nice to be partnered with him in that. There's, um, mine's kind of a sine wave pattern where there's big abs, big, big ups, big downs. And it's nice to have something that's a little more steady. Mm-hmm. Um, plus it's fun collaborating. Like, um, we'll do, oftentimes we'll do like a, a sign project where he'll do the, the log structure that the sign will go into and I'll design and either the CNC or I'll carve it out and then collaborate that way so it opens up us up to being able to do art in a different market because of because we do different things sure um yeah so in my in my case i think partnering and diversifying as long as it's not too much of a pivot i've seen people try and tag weird stuff together like uh, i think i've even seen like thrift stores that sell carvings and I mean, maybe, maybe in your market that works good, but that would not work in my market. That would be way too, I mean, I have to sell my, I think that that would hurt your pricing structure. Yeah. People would associate, you know, anyway. Um, but if, if it, if it, if it's like a good fit, another art form or, or, you know, sculpture form or uh, uh, furniture type thing, I think it can I personally benefit a lot from it. Okay. Yeah, I know early on when I when I started selling carvings, I didn't really understand the market and I tried to sell my carvings in some places that didn't didn't fit. And sure. you could tell it, you know, people people didn't want to pay the prices because of the other things at the shop. And uh so I figured out Yeah. I'm like, yeah, no, it, it can't be you know, in a, in a shop that's trying to sell things at a, a way cheaper price point or nothing, things that aren't related. It just didn't work. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, and I might step on some toes from saying this, but like if you're selling your carvings at a discount flea market, don't be surprised if you're going to get discount flea market offers I t- the- and have some respect for your art, have some respect for mm-hmm. for yourself and 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 uh for for I should say have some respect for the effort that you've put in right this and um be a part of raising both the quality and the prices because uh one of a kind original design to art is it's valuable yeah no i'm I'm laughing because one of the first places I tried to sell some of my carvings was at a flea market. <laughs> 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 <And it> was- <laughs> 
the most epic fail. I, like you said, everybody was offering <laughs> me like less than half of what oh. I mean, it was after a while, I just wanted to leave, but you've made a commitment, you know, to stay there all day. <laughs> right, right, right. Like you told the organizer you'd be there, even right. though like, you, yeah, they did you don't owe him anything. Oh yeah. Like, no, it yeah. was, it was awful. I, so I figured that out pretty quick. <laughs> sure. Well, I, you know what, honestly, like that's how you get started, right? That's how yeah. you bust your chops. Just don't, <laughs> just don't stay there. Right. Um, I mean, unless you're just killing it, but <laughs> I've never seen anyone kill it at a bargain flea market. No, <laughs> no. Okay. So, is there anything else that you want to talk about that we didn't cover that people should know? Oh, um, let's see. As far as carving, carving I mean, I, I feel like we had a pretty well-rounded discussion here. Yeah. Um, there was that one. Oh, no, I just think that uh, there's some... I just wanted to reiterate, there's some really cool resources. ZBrush is one. There's also some cool apps that you can get on your phone where you that are just 3D model viewers, and I found this to be really handy. Okay. There's some apps where you can um, pull up a, a, mo- a 3D model of a hand, for instance, and you can move the digits of the hand around. I mean, I used to print off tons of pictures and put them on a clipboard and have them next to my carving and just really try to reference that way. But I've since gone to this thing where I'm using 3D models for reference because it's much more true to form and you can zoom in and really get different angles. And I I found that to be really helpful. Hey, sorry for the abrupt ending there. our goodbye got cut off, but don't worry. You got to hear all of Jason's great advice. Uh, you didn't miss out on anything. Um, one thing at the end there, Jason was talking about an app uh, for on your phone to do some 3D modeling or look at things in three dimension. And the app he let me know later was called Art Pose. So if you want to check that out, that app is called Art Pose. It was great to be able to hear Jason's advice. I hope that you were able to learn something or something maybe piqued your interest that you're going to check into some more. If you're enjoying the podcast, make sure that you rate it, like it, share it so we can get it out to more people. And if you guys have any ideas for who I should interview or topics that you're interested in hearing about, you can go ahead and send them my way. My email is wistywoodworks at gmail.com. Until next time.